Today on the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast, it's just Jeff, just me. But what I'm talking about, Ant Man and the Wasp, though, so it can't be all bad. Oh yeah, I don't have the music files to insert here, so it's just me doing weird sounds. Hmm. Welcome to the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast. My name is Jeff Randall. Unfortunately, Matt can't be joining me today. He is in Alaska currently and uh, unable to watch Ant-Man and the Wasp and talk about it immediately. But I'm here and, well, I'm excited about it. So let's get right to it. <clears throat> First off, I want to say that this movie, in a non-spoiler fashion, is worth worth seeing. It is a good solid entry into the uh the marvel canon the mcu and honestly after the blunt force trauma that was infinity war marvel fans needed this marvel fans needed something a little uh a little softer a little little lighter a little uh you know cleanse the palate so to speak something funnier uh not as high stakes it's not without its share of seriousness, and it certainly has very emotional moments, but it's a lot easier to digest than that trauma <laughs> that Infinity War laid down on us. Now, continuing in the non-spoiler realm, uh, right now the movie is sitting at 88% on Rotten Tomatoes. It's got an average rating of 7 out of 10, which is about what I would give it. Uh, seven, seven and a half, maybe 8 out of 10 is where I would place it. It's a really solid entry it's not my favorite though it's not gonna be it's not my favorite of the mcu it's not my favorite with you know starring paul rudd uh not my favorite or not starring but not my favorite involving paul rudd uh not my favorite team up it's really it's still good though i would say it's the better of the two ant-man movies likely um mostly because it doesn't seem to follow the standard bad guy gets technology bad guy does bad thing bad guy wants to continue doing bad things it's it there's it's a bit more complex than that um yeah uh, the movie's tracking to open at about 80 to 90 million dollars over the weekend which is solid considering <laughs> the the uh the how the first one opened and kind of how the solo movies are tracking where it's not the biggest and most stellar uh of heroes he may be the biggest like physically but like big name not so much um so it's it's going to be a solid opening weekend for a solid movie i i wouldn't say that it's going to stay in first place too terribly long um it's certainly not going to have the legs that Infinity War has, um, even though most of the characters in it have six. It's ah, a terrible joke. It's terrible. Anyway, <laughs> um, still trying to stay in non-spoiler uh, territory. Eventually, Lily is phenomenal, as always. Uh, she finally gets to have her kick-ass role, literally and figuratively. Um, Michael... Douglas gets to have actually emotionally gripping scenes where he's not just not just telling the backstory. He's not just expositioning. He gets to do things again, finally. 
surprise favorite for me, honestly, out of Bill Foster, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character. I'm not going to say why, just that he's he was a surprising favorite for me. Um, and as always in the Marvel movies, the little kids steal the show. So Cassie Lang was just phenomenal. Uh, you you really want to see her uh, in future movies, like you know, five, ten years down the road. You want her to to become the hero stature that she becomes in the comics. Like I want her to to be that size changing hero. Anyway, uh, I think that's about all I can do for non spoilers since I'm starting to get into individual characters and and actors. Uh, this is definitely one to see though. If you're on the fence about it, go see it. Don't expect it to be as soul-crushing as Infinity War. Uh, it's going to be fun. It's going to be funny. And it's it's going to feel about the same as the first one. Um, just fewer montages. <laughs> fewer, fewer overall montages. So, with that, I'm going to go ahead into spoiler territory. So, spoiler alert in... Three, two, one. This is usually where I would yell something, and I can't find anything to yell that's like truly surprising other than it's non-standard. The there's no like standard antagonist, there's no standard villain, there's no you know, there's nobody with this great overarching plot to destroy the world. The the main villain honestly is a guy who is a crime boss <laughs> like let's see walton goggins plays sonny birch and he's a crime boss basically uh who really just wants to get hank pym's technology get his lab so that he can sell it to somebody and make a bunch of money and it's not even that he wants to use it he just wants to sell it to somebody and he knows that that Hank is opening the quantum realm and is attempting to, you know, find his wife in there. He, this guy may not know that he wants to find his wife, but he, he definitely knows that Hank Pym wants to open the quantum realm and that's going to open so many possibilities. And he knows that he can get a lot of money from that. And that's really the, the ultimate bad that he's, that he's doing is trying to steal from this guy and being a dick to do it. And everyone other than that, like, the uh, Randall Parks character, Jimmy Woo, the FBI agent, is not actually a bad guy. He's an antagonist, but he's he's not a bad guy. He's following the law and doing his part for just what he considers justice. And you know, while the Sokovia Accords, you know, are not the best thing in the world for the heroes, it's part of the law right now, and that's what that's what that guy is trying to do. Um. Other antagonists, you know, the main one being Ava, Ghost. She's not actually just being bad for the sake of being bad. She's trying to to save herself. She's basically being ripped apart because her father did a stupid thing trying to get the Quantum Realm open in her past. And she's been living with this agonizing pain the entire time and is phasing in and out of reality, which is a very, very heartbreaking thing to watch, but is also beautiful to see uh, as far as the, the the visual effects go. 
because every time she's phasing in and out and around things, you can see little traces of uh, possibilities, so to speak, uh, where like this is going to be her next face or that could be her next face. She's trying to dodge one way or the other. Like she's thinking about different ways that she needs to get out of a certain situation. And you can see all the ways that she would dodge and there's all the possibilities and all the different states that she could be in. And then, you know, she, she picks whatever particular way she's going. It's a gorgeous thing to see. And I would recommend seeing it in 3d because of that. I didn't see it in 3d, but I saw it in GDX, the giant digital experience. So that was, that was where I got it. Um, I'm probably going to see it again for the 3d just to see how beautiful it can get. Um, as far as the other surprise role, uh, surprise sort of antagonist, uh, Lawrence Fishburne's character, Dr. Bill Foster, was this uh, incredible, out of nowhere, complex character where he was slighted by Hank Pym in the past and kind of held that little bit of a grudge against him for that. But he still, he didn't take that to heart as like, this is why I need to be a bad guy. He was just somebody who had a different viewpoint and decided to try to help people in his way. And he was trying to help Ava because he's the best, or he he heard about it, and he figured he was the best person to try to help that sort of person because he had the most experience with Quantum Realm and Hank Pym stuff after Hank Pym went off the rails. And so he tries to help Ava by not really even doing bad things he's just he's helping someone who doesn't necessarily have all of their pieces together and he's telling her you know you if you do this i'm not going to help you if you cross this line of kidnapping this little girl i'm not going to help you and you know he stands by those morals and while he may understand that, yes, this lady is doing some bad things, he still wants to help her because she, he ultimately he sees she just needs some help. And that's that's beautiful. And, and for that, for that complexity and like he's got all of these layers of I want to be a good guy. I want to help people. I don't want to do the bad thing, but she's a bad person, sort of. But I think that she can be saved if I can just get through to her and help her with these things. And she needs help. She's a person in need and obviously a broken person. So if I can fix this one thing, that might put her back together. But I still need to do the good thing. I still kind of want to be the hero. But I still really hate Hank Pym because he's such a dick. Like, all of these layers of, of Lawrence Fishburne's Bill Foster was just incredible to see. And really just made my jaw drop while I was in the theater. Uh, so that, that is, is pretty much all of the antagonists. You've got the FBI who are just doing their job, uh, you know, trying to enforce the, the unenforceable, really Sokovia Accords. Um, you've got Sonny Birch, who's just a, uh, a crime boss, effectively. Ava, who's trying to help herself and... Bill Foster, who's trying to keep Ava on a good path. Those are your those are your major antagonists. Nobody really is like the big villain. You gotta stop. And then with that, with 
Bill Foster having this connection to Ava and wanting to help. He's also got that connection to Dr. Hank Pym and really wins the moral argument with Hank Pym. Like he, he gets Hank Pym to understand like this girl is, is in need of our help. She's like, we're the only one that can help her and she's in pain. And Hank Pym says, as soon as I get back with, with Janet, I will help you find a cure for her condition. Like, it's it's so great that that they can come to that understanding and and have that kind of turnaround moment of god maybe i was being a dick to everybody and that's the real overarching story here is connection from everybody from hank's past is coming back literally and figuratively everybody from hank's past is his having an effect on his life and it's showing that the effects of what we do echo throughout our lives and into the future and and hank is learning at an older age <laughs> that maybe he wasn't the best person to everybody so other major through lines uh for this are scott lang becoming ant-man again after having not been ant-man for two years after uh the events of civil war um coming back into the fold with hope and kind of seeing how hope is developed into the hero that she is sort of on the back end, uh, on the run underground. Uh, she's become a badass. Evangeline Lilly plays this perfectly. Um, she is just an outright badass. And Paul Rudd's, uh, Scott Lang interpretation of like being cooped up around the house for two solid years is, phenomenal it's a it's it's a wonder he's not more crazy uh he takes it well in stride though which is kind of what we expect from scott lang like oh yep i've i've been in prison i know how this goes two years yeah at least i get to see my daughter and play games with her around the house which is adorable and they establish early in the movie what the uh what the major stakes time frame is is that whenever Scott is getting mixed back up with Hope and, and uh, Hank that he's got just a few days before his his ankle bracelet comes off and he's got to be back at home to kind of just be there for the FBI so that he can get that ankle bracelet taken off officially for good. And that kind of says like everything that's here, everything that's within this movie happens within a couple of days and based on the mid credit scene happens before the events of infinity war and you know, it just kind of establishes that in the timeline you know it has been two years since uh civil war and it is at least a little bit before infinity war because they're after they finish with scott's major story and they go to the whole Mm, the whole mid credit scene, which I don't want to talk about yet. Uh, they, when they go to the whole mid credit scene, it could have been any length of time in between that. It's it's kind of understood that it's like, it seems like it should have been a couple of weeks. Um, it might have been months because his his tunnel, his, his quantum tunnel, I guess they called it, uh, his quantum tunnel, he, he wanted a smaller version of it. And so they fit it into the back of the van and they were able to, to shrink that down. So I guess, or 
make that into a smaller version of itself. So either he used his his pin particle shrinking technology to squeeze it into the back of the van, or he just built it smaller with Janet's help. So that could have taken, you know, several months. Anyway, so Scott, Scott and his his tale, really, Scott is just kind of thrown along for this ride, trying to get everybody help before he needs to get back to home. And it's not his story, really. It's not even, it's not his story anymore. He's just kind of thrown into it, kind of the same way that he was in the first one. Um, but in the first one, he was more recruited, and now he feels more like he's called to help. He needs, he feels the hero pull in him, pulling him to help these people that he loves. So he does come to the rescue, breaking them out of prison, like they broke him out, or like Hank broke him out, rather. Um, they were in the holding cell and everybody got a suit, some sort of, uh, hat and glasses, which he calls out as like, it was a very meta comment. He's like, this is not a disguise. This is, it looks like us going to a ball game, which is obviously a dig at every other incognito Marvel person throughout all of the movies having just a, a nondescript ball cap and sunglasses like aviators like that's the that's the costume um and then they were obviously spotted because just a few minutes later the FBI shows up with you know security having seen them and so really this is a uh, this is mostly a, a Hope Van Dyne hero story where she's being the hero and it's kind of them coming into an understanding of like, we do need to do this together if we're going to succeed, but she's a badass on her own, but it seems like she's having to understand that she's not able to do everything. She can't be everywhere all at once. So if the two of them work together, he's still good at what he does and she's a badass. So they're going to get a few things done and they show that in their, in their final, I guess, showdown fight with Ava where they're able to kind of team up and, and bring her down. <laughs> really, it's more of just like stun her long enough to ha let Janet kind of walk up and see see this woman in pain and say, oh, I know your pain. Use my healing hands to fix it. She's She's become a cleric in her time in the quantum realm. And she explained it as, you know, time in there changes you. She's not the same person. It's evolution almost. So she's developed some way to harness quantum energy and and utilize that to heal people who have been affected by it, which is really nice of her. And especially to just so willingly help someone who, you know, is in so much pain. Like she's still a hero. She's still the wasp, the original wasp, Janet Van Dyne. So as far as our other protagonists, uh, Michael Pena got his uh, his chatterbox sequences again. Um, this time it was all at once. Not really, uh, not really so much a part of the story as it was a callback to the first one. It seems like Peyton Reed, the director, understood. Everybody liked Michael Pena's sequences where he was. Uh, kind of chattering on, prattling on, and and everybody was speaking the way that he speaks in his uh, in his retellings of the world, and so because everybody liked that, let's go ahead and just redo some of that, and it honestly had no bearing 
on the rest of the story at all, but was still really fun to watch. That there was some some much needed levity to uh, to the seriousness of the of the situation that he was in, um, getting interrogated by the crime boss, and then you know the other characters within it, Dave and Kurt, uh, played by T.I. and Dave David Dasmalchian. Uh, you know they didn't really get to do much other than just be fun backup they they weren't necessarily um i don't want to say useful but they weren't necessarily useful in as big a capacity as they were the first movie uh they were kind of a reminder of like hey this movie is fun and these characters are fun too and we like all of the interactions that they have so let's have let's have them all have fun again that's really all it was so i guess that's really all i wanted to uh to speak on as far as characters um now as far as uh as far as plot uh story the the overall pacing of the movie was a little it's a standard team-up movie basically um, this was a team-up movie. It's Ant-Man and the Wasp teaming up. Uh, also, Hank Pym and uh, Janet Van Dyne coming back, and Bill Foster being involved, and then you know, and kind of Ava with Bill Foster. I mean, it was a team-up in a bunch of different ways, where like Ant-Man and the Wasp would not have teamed up with Ava. But they did team up with Hank Pym, who sort of was going to team up with Bill Foster. He definitely was going to team up with Janet Van Dyne. Uh, Janet was the one that that kind of cured Ava, and Bill Foster was helping her before. So kind of by extension, did team up with Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like, it's it's complex, and I love that. Uh, the story, though, the pacing was slow in the beginning where they were getting everybody up to speed on what's going on before they really threw us into the story. And then we were in it at warp speed about as the way that Paul Rudd felt uh, or about the way that Scott Lang felt. And he had only a few days to get everything done and get back to home. And that's kind of how it felt is they were going warp speed. Let's go. We got to get him home. and. It really, it suited the movie, and it it felt similar to the first movie, as far as like things have to be done, we have to hit these beats, let's go. Um, but it also felt a little bit chaotic, kind of from the middle. No, right after about Act One, it felt like chaos, and it felt like these people were just kind of reacting to everything and trying to make it with all of this bad happening around them, which kind of felt like the world uh, post post Sokovia Accords. You know, it's all chaos and they're just trying to, to make what they can happen. Um, so as far as pacing, it's a little slow and then picks up to crazy speeds. And then after it's all done, it seems like everybody's happy except that at the end Scott gets stuck in the quantum realm and Janet, Hank and Hope all turn to ash and I was left with my mouth agape in the theater all three of them are gone and Scott's just calling out for help on the speaker oh 
Thanos, you son of a bitch. And I'm, you know, I want to know what happened to Bill Foster with, you know, did he turn to Ash? I want to know what happened to Cassie. Like, don't leave her alone. Please, dear God, don't leave her alone. Like, let Paxton and Maggie, or at least one of them, be okay. Uh, you know, what happened to Luis and, and, and Dave and Kurt? Like, what happened to all of our people? Is Ava all right? Like, I find myself caring about that character. Like, is she okay? Is she going to come back and be, uh, you know, helpful in some way? Because she was uh, apparently a S.H.I.E.L.D. operative. How are all of these people going to be okay in this world? Like, please help us. Someone <laughs> help us. I mean, the ant is playing drums at the end to kind of, like, bring back the levity, but it doesn't save it. It doesn't save it at all. <laughs> Captain Marvel, come help. Please. <laughs> Like, while this movie had a lot of levity and a lot of fun to it, it was still kind of serious in the story. Still a little bit serious. And then right at the end, they just brought it all home. Like, oh, shit, Thanos did snap. He did get that hand, you know, together long enough to snap. Oh, that hurts. Uh, So, story was good. It was, it was, it was different from your normal bad guy wants to do a bad thing. Um, they were fighting over who got the right to, to help somebody that they love and cared about either themselves or a, a, a long lost loved one. As, now, as far as the, the other big things in movies, the visuals, the visuals were, the visuals were juxtaposed almost. They were, there were two very contrasting views in this particular movie there was the super cool small uh you know shrunken down views everything is big around you and you know what does that world look like so that was really visually interesting and uh ava ghost her power and how they were trying to help her with it like that looked really cool visually really awesome when Hank Pym went down into the quantum realm to to go get Janet, that area was crazy. It was like it was like Doctor Strange going through all of the all of the realms and all of the dimensions and seeing how many dimensions there are. Like when he saw the dark dimension, it was like that level of crazy, awesome, trippy. And <clears throat> and he got to play with some water bears. <laughs> so visually it was stellar crazy to see it it warrants going into 3d just so that you can get that insane feeling from it and and see all of those visuals but those were offset by all the mundane day-to-day you know being stuck in house arrest kind of thing that scott lang had to deal with and and it really made those parts feel just a little more on the boring side and, and more dull by comparison and when he grew large, he did it up big. <laughs> he he, uh, he had a lot of fun with that part as well, um, and he really had a good a good spread of like going small when going small would help, and being thrown into bigger sizes, kind of not by his choice by uh, the. I don't want to call it a plot device so much as the weird tech issue that he was having with his suit where he 
would occasionally just be thrown to to large or half size but that half size got some got some good laughs in the school because he looked like a five-year-old um sound sound design they brought back the 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 original song from the first movie the uh the heist song um it sort of fit with the theme here it didn't feel so much like a heist movie this time around so the heist feel of the of the ant-man song just didn't really stick so much they they modified it and it kind of stuck but it was still a little weird it might have been my theater though uh where i had an issue with sound because it felt like all of the sound was coming through like even when they didn't have helmets on it, it sounded like they were coming through helmets so it might have been an issue with I had or that I had with the sound design or the sound delivery system in my theater. But sound design has never really been the MCU's strong point. So meh, you know, whatever. They get a star. <laughs> you get a star for putting sound in the movie again. Now going forward, what are I mean? We we've got Janet, Hank, and Hope have all turned to Ash. So you know, what are they gonna do? when it comes time to to go into uh Avengers 4 you know we've seen pictures of Scott Lang on set filming Avengers 4 um so he obviously gets out of the quantum realm but like where do, come on man like give me some kind of clue as to who's going to help him who's going to save him who's going to get him out of there and something that uh, that Janet said kind of stuck with me when he was going in right before he was going in she said don't get stuck in a time vortex because that's a bad thing that makes me think that they're kind of pushing us into that kind of that sort of uh that direction for time travel like maybe Maybe Scott Lang gets caught in a time vortex or some of some sort and gets pushed out into a different time and has to, you know, has to save somebody in some way for some reason or, you know, does something to bring all of our heroes to the present. I'm not sure. Or maybe he just gets stuck for a really long time and then pops out later. I don't know. I can't say I'm not I'm not a writer. Uh, really looking forward to whenever Matt gets back so we can have a good solid discussion on this rather than just me talking at everyone. Uh, but really overall, I like this movie. I enjoyed it. I do want to see it again. Uh, I feel like I might've missed some things cause I was focused on, you know, sound and, and kind of feeling out the story and being entertained at the same time. I'd like to go super analytic, anal- analytical, analytical. I'm going to go with analytical. That's because then I can analyze a list. It's analytical. Anyway, <laughs> so definitely worth seeing. Probably worth seeing again. Um, I'm looking forward to it. Anyway, so we are the Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. Uh, if you want to hit us up with your feedback on this film, we will talk about it in a future feedback episode. Um, you can send us an email at mcucast at gmail.com. You can catch all of our stuff on mcucast.com or at facebook.com slash mcucast, mcucast on Twitter. Uh, if you want to send a couple of bucks our way and help us out to help support the cast, you can go to patreon.com slash mcucast. Pretty much everywhere we are mcucast. Also, you can call us and leave a voicemail at 573-CAST-MCU. That's 573-CAST-MCU. And we will play your voicemail back on the air 
and discuss what you discuss. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to all the feedback and everything. Um, go see Ant-Man. If you, if you listen to all of this and haven't, I don't know why. You, you're doing a bad thing. Uh, hopefully I didn't get too crazy about it. And uh, yeah, let me know what you think, guys. Until next time, true believers.